Night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I am your host, Ross Bolin, at the Grand X Media Studios in Austin, Texas, with my co-host, Barrett Dudley. Hello. Hello, sir. Hello, governor. How are you, mate? I'm all right. Let's just do Cockney accents. Oh, yeah. We'll just start. Why not, Barrett? Well, you know, after watching the Emmys last night, I, I just I really want to learn the Queen's English. And you then, do, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the Crown and learn the Queen's English. The Crown is dope. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I would. I made the argument that it is the best show ever made about the most boring story ever told. <laughs> like, in, in you know, the ratio of boringness of storyline to quality of show is the is the best i've ever seen okay all right it is so well done and so well acted and directed and uh it's like cinematography all that bullshit the art side right right it's so good but the uh the story fucking sucks and it doesn't even matter you don't even notice that huh it's just i can't tell i can't tell if you're telling me it's a worthwhile watch or not very good okay very worthwhile okay you just wouldn't think it was the story if i I was like if i told you like here's what happens in season one and i just told you right now you'd be like that sounds incredibly boring yeah it's not in the detail of the story that makes it fun it's the acting and the drama of the the whole thing but it is really really good i highly recommend it well let's get the rest of the housekeeping out of the way so that we can chat a little bit more about the emmys for show, this is the night's rewatch. We're doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with season one, episode one, leading up to the final season of our favorite show, so we can all be as prepared as possible. Take the black and join us. The night's rewatch is being brought to you by our in-house clothing brand, Rowdy Gentleman, which you can check out at rowdygentleman.com. We are having a site-wide ridiculous blowout sale next week, but since you listen to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, and you're part of the Clam Fam. You get early access to that sale right freaking now. 30% off everything, including already super low-priced sale items in some cases. The code you use at checkout is OCCEARLY, one word, O-C-C-E-A-R-L-Y, for 30% off of everything. Fall 18 collection is available now. More stuff is coming soon. There's all kinds of great shit on there. If for some reason you are listening to this show way after September 18th, 2018, like maybe it's 2020 and you're in the future, I don't know. Obviously, that 30% off sale is probably no longer going on. Just try the code SUMAI. Invoke (laughs) that at checkout instead. S-U-M-A-I. That should get you 15% off. Who knows how things will change between now and then. I'm just taking a shot in the dark here. But OCC Early is the code everybody in the clan fam should be using right now on RowdyGentleman.com to get 30% off the whole site. You're helping the people out who, in the not-too-distant future, are in a destroyed bunker because of the zombie apocalypse. Right. But, you know, like in Will Smith and I Am Legend, but they can access RowdyGentleman.com 
and, get and they're some... they're tuning this podcast just through through one satellite reaching out to the to the nethers of the safe region. Ah, yes. And they're getting this podcast coming in. And they can get to rowdygentlemen.com and they've just got to order some of this stuff and they get do. it to their to their secret bunker where they're safe from the zombies. And they can probably use Sumai because that's just that's because, way in the di- that's way in the future. Just because not there too are, distant future. are way few humans, way fewer humans, and it's mostly zombies now. That doesn't mean you don't want to look fly, right? So get some good tees right. and, and hats and and in this not too distant dystopia, I, what's weird is that UPS is still still running. Yes, perfectly yeah. normally. Yeah, for some reason, but nobody knows why. No, right? We're, nobody's really clear on how any of that works. <laughs> but go to rowdygentleman.com today. OCC early. Or Sumai, if that one's already expired. Time for some news. Uh, Despite a season that was largely seen as a clusterfuck of disappointment by the public, Game of Thrones Season 7 cleaned up at the Emmys. It really, it did. It's kind of shocking to me. Even to me, who does a podcast about the show. Yeah, it was was surprising. I was surprised. I I was, I don't like, it's not hating on our our own show. It's like... uh, I guess that's it. I was just there was a few wins where I was like, "Whoa, I cannot believe that that they beat out another show that I thought may have been more deserving for this particular it, season 7 got shit on by everybody, by the fans, right. by the critics, by it, largely it was just panned and and it, I was surprised. That's this all. is the Emmys though. It's not the Oscars. Like so many people have Emmys that aren't necessarily great at their job. I mean, it's I think the Emmys get a little more political than the Oscars, and I don't mean that in the sense that they make jokes about Donald Trump, which they did plenty of. I mean no, that in the, the sense that there are, that it is uh, maybe a little more paid for, like bought and paid for. You get that hmm. feeling, Barrett? Because the underdogs, a lot of the, well, at least this year, it seemed like a lot of the underdogs, the mom and pop shows, mm-hmm. the kind of up and comers, the scrappy ones yeah. that were a little more deserving, they kind of got shelved while the big dogs got some... Okay, sometimes. I don't know. It's 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 kind of tough to to read into from, from my perspective because a lot of times you do get a show like what happened on the comedy side where it's not really... Like like the people that have watched it are all in. So I'm, what, what I'm referring to is Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is on Amazon, probably the smallest stream of, of the... Like the... the, the not the smallest, obviously. Amazon's worth a trillion dollars, but it's like probably the least watched out of Hulu, Netflix, you think out of and Hulu Amazon. Too? Even Hulu? I bet Amazon's got more subscribers than Hulu. Maybe so. If I just had to guess, because of Amazon Prime specifically, it's like cheating. Okay. Well, that's okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, it like you know that's not a show that was all over everything when it was out, right? right. Like, there weren't a ton of think pieces on it. Like people weren't like chatting about no, it. No, I never the water heard cooler. anything about it. Like I just legit didn't know it won existed. every single comedy award it was nominated for pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. You you were pretty spot on with and that. And so one. they they a lot of times they like to award new shows that they're all really into. And it's like the industry's really into it. They think the okay. writing's great and the acting performance is great. And it like, like it's mints, changing and it mints a, a few new stars. A show that's kind of changing the landscape of things a bit. Right. And so sometimes you see that on the drama side too, but then other times they're like, nah, fuck all that. And they just give the award to the long running dominant show. dominant show. Much like they did with Breaking Bad in its last season, although Breaking Bad's last season was critically acclaimed, like to, you know, as much as it could possibly, yeah, it was have considered been. to be like one of the greatest seasons ever made. But of it, any show. but it was. I'm not, I'm not going to remember who it was beating, but it it beat, or well, at least it beat Game of Thrones for one thing, right? Um, but in like Brian Cranston 
took home the 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 uh, the Emmy that year uh-huh. when For it was best like actor. yeah, and it was kind of. I remember that was like a slightly controversial because they there was some somebody else that they thought it was a it was a it. hey we have to give this to you one more time this is your last opportunity yeah, for yeah. this show so so for me this Game of Thrones winning all of the awards to me what that was more saying was like the industry and the Academy's recognition of how incredibly difficult this show is to make and how well they do it. And how unprecedented it is to do a show on this type of scale. Very well said. And I thought, out of every season we've seen so far, season seven was far and away the most expensive and difficult to pull off, even if they didn't pull it off in the best way that we all think could have been done or whatever. Right. With all that aside, if you compare season seven of Game of Thrones to, say, season two of The Crown or whatever, it isn't comparable. It is not on the same scale in terms of difficulty, in terms of complexity, it's in terms of expense. Right. It's not. It's well, not I, the same ballgame. I think the Emmys just throw shit against the wall because there's shows like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which has never been nominated. And then you have Big Bang Theory, where the guy, I forget his name, uh, yeah, Jim Parsons. Yeah. He's won multiple Emmys yeah. for that fucking show. So it's it's. I've Whatever. never. Nobody knows exactly why the Emmys work the way they work, but I yeah. still. I didn't go into watching last night expecting to see Game of Thrones pick up more than a couple, right? And then they got right. nine, so that's a lot. Yeah, uh, they won drama series, outstanding drama series. They reclaimed that, which that was the biggest shocker to me, mm-hmm. based on the the way season seven was ex- uh, accepted or rejected. Uh, Peter Dinklage won supporting actor in a drama series, beating out Nicola Nikolai Walter Costa. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for the upset there. I kind of thought that Nikolai should have gotten it. Oh, just to man. just to throw him, just throw a little recognition Dude, his way. I felt the when they showed the clips of like the acting that you know they give you like twenty seconds of yeah, them acting right. from the most yeah. recent season. I was like, fuck, he Jamie deserves it. Yeah, that's I thought so too. First of all, that actor's name is too difficult. I will never say it again. It's just Jamie Lannister and. Uh, <laughs> But no, man, I mean, listen, Peter Dinklage is a superior actor to Jamie Lannister. Probably more so. Peter Dinklage is probably a better actor than 99.9% of actors on the planet. But I thought season seven was like the Jamie season. I thought, yeah, yeah. He had all the really, really tough scenes to me. Yes. Whereas Tyrion was just kind of like a side character in season seven. He wasn't the big dog Jamie was going through his hardest season ever yeah and Which, that's this isn't even the season where he got his fucking hand chopped and off and again that's why I think that that's another sign to where I think the voters like looked at the list weren't blown away by anything on the list and were like ah well we know Peter Dinklage is always excellent and they just kind of like tossed him the award they're just fucking lazy yeah they also won something for special special visual effects. Out of the nine awards they won, seven were creative arts Emmys. So things like special visual effects, those ones that are like, you know, weird nerd shit that we don't know about. Um, but the two big ones were drama series and then supporting actor in a drama series. The rest of them were creative arts Emmys. We got a shitload of pics of all of our favorite actors and actresses from Game of Thrones up on our Instagram. Amelia Clark looked ridiculous. That dress was very hot. Yes. Ravishing. Yes. Good yeah. God. Uh, her and Millie Vanilli Vaughn, whatever the girl's <laughs> name is, who plays uh, Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah. That was a cool pairing to have on stage uh-huh, together. Uh-huh. Um, there's no joke to be made there. I was just enjoyed seeing them on stage together. But Amelia Clark, that was the hottest dress I've seen her wear. 
one of her best looks for sure. The Absolutely. Sh- the sheer the front she- yeah. mm-hmm. was... Mm. Did you enjoy the Emmys last night? So, Barrett, I'll be... I'll, I, when Monday Night Football became unwatchable, uh, <laughs> I skipped over to the Emmys. So I okay. missed some of. The, I missed all the comedy shit that you saw. Okay, I yeah, saw all the, the big awards. Yeah, that's yeah, basically yeah. what. Okay, what I right. had to do. I just I, I thought the Emmys was pretty enjoyable last night. Like, what was with the speeding through it? It's the pace was odd, and I kind of enjoyed. it. I liked that. Yeah, the fact that they were reading the nominees as the presenters were walking up to the stage right. and then like letting them do a quick bit and then announce it was really great. And I hope that the Oscars, which typically takes, oh, I don't know, six hours, yes. was taking notes last night. It's interesting because that's always the problem with these award shows is that no one has ever figured out the perfect formula for, for how they should be structured. Like, Every year they change things. They try to make yeah. it better. They t- sometimes they make it much worse. Sometimes it's a little bit better. This was a little bit better by by all accounts. Yeah. But there were 40,000 commercials, and that was the difference for me. I was like, man, they're really banging through these. This yeah. is great. <laughs> and then I'd be like fucking with my phone during a commercial break and realize 15 minutes have gone by, and I'm still not back on the goddamn Emmys. And that was a little frustrating. Huh. Um, but I did think they made some improvements. Like, nobody, we don't need to see the host between every award. No, absolutely not. They got to rethink the host. You, do these shows even need a host? No, they really don't. They, the, I don't think the, they do. The people, I am more entertained by the different people that come out for each award than I am by the host. Same. And what I what I thought they did really well last night and what I was most surprised by is that a lot of times that patter that they have the, you know, the two the random pairing do yeah. falls very flat. Yeah. Last night a lot of them were really funny. And when one fell flat, they handled it well. Right. Like that's always what matters the most. How you handle it if your joke falls flat or the thing they gave you to your gimmick sucks dick mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Uh, and I can't remember which one it was. Oh, they had uh, somebody who only says really. Oh, Benicio del Toro. That was a yeah. That one I don't fell know, flat. I don't know what yep. that pairing was. Ben Stiller, ben Stiller Patricia Arquette, Patricia Arquette and, Benicio and Benicio del Toro. del Toro. But they tried to make a joke. The joke was essentially Benicio del Toro only says really intense things in all of his films. Uh, yeah. So Ben Stiller said something normal. Patricia Arquette said something normal, and then Benicio del Toro was like. I will kill them all. Yeah. Yep. And no one got it. No. Nope. Like, I laughed a little on my couch. It was kind of funny <laughs> to me. I was like, yeah, yeah, he does say stuff like that. I'm an idiot. But no one in the audience got it. And rather than then just like awkwardly moving forward, they all just stood there. Yeah, they, they just were let like, it hang. Oh, you motherfuckers are going to feel this. <laughs> and the look on Ben Stiller's face and Patricia Arquette's face while they were like, oh, this is glorious. It's falling flat. Nobody gets it. I loved that. Like, you have to own it. If yeah. it's getting awkward, push the envelope of awkwardness. They did. Even they further, did on that one. And then it works. And that had me laughing. Yeah. But yeah, that's. I thought that was cool, man. I don't know what some of these people were doing there. Is Ben Stiller and Patricia Arquette and him, are they in a movie together? That, what the no, fuck was No that? idea. No idea. Anyway, but yeah, I thought overall, I thought they did a pretty good job, man. I, I, you know, I don't need much. Just They just need to find a way to make these things shorter. The coolest part of the Emmys, of the Academy Awards, of any of those, the, the Grammys, is seeing all your favorite famous people right. and what they're wearing totally. and then hearing from them for a few seconds. Yep. So really, most of the show can be accomplished through Instagram at this point. Like, <laughs> you, Seriously, that's how I saw most of the people's dresses and I saw great clips from different segments and shit. So it's not even really necessary that it be on fucking TV for me. But if it's going to be on TV, they need to continue to find ways to tweak it and make it shorter so that we can all watch. Because it's a big deal. Sure, like, yeah, it is. But shorter But shorter at this point is better. And I'm right there with you. Like, we don't care about the hosts. Like, Colin Jost and Michael Che were okay, I guess. But, like, I, I, 
they did they served no purpose really no you they, know? no i didn't think they were i didn't even think they were very good and i'm typically am a fan of you just need uh, you uh, just che. need yeah but you just need to you know they slow it down they bog it down too much i thought that it was very funny how the uh Vaughn michaels tried to take a jab at at oh uh, that was weird streaming man. you acknowledged this on twitter and i couldn't have agreed more with you he was like People said that we'd be gone by now, that the networks would all be dead. He referenced 1975. Yeah. He, he was, was like, like, in 1975, people told me the networks, networks aren't long for, for life. Like, yeah. He was like, and here we are. This is NBC. This is NBC. And yeah. This is the Emmys. And it was like, uh, no. <laughs> no, no, sir. You are quite, quite wrong. You're being crushed in every aspect by streaming. For the love of God, this should be streaming right now. Why are we watching this on TV? Right. Like, you know, yeah, he clung to one of two things that the networks still have, and that's live uh, presentations such as award shows and live sports, which yeah. is all that they have going for and them anymore. And then they anymore. stuck and SNL ratings are down our And throats. ratings are still down on the Emmys. As much as I thought last night was was pretty all fun, way down. ratings got... were down again. Like against, people aren't watching. Against a dog shit Monday night football games. Yeah. So that is absolutely not the People reasoning. are not watching Emmys. And, you know, I, I, even not... It was just a really weird jab to take. And you always... You know, the pride always comes before the fall. And it's like... Dude, just th- That was so disappointing to, to watch this guy who I've really respected for a long time, who I think has done an incredible job on SNL, who should be like this like very progressive, adaptive person. Yeah, right? You would think he would be. Then like just like it. be like this like stick in the mud about how the networks will be here forever, and now nah, they won't, man. Dude, nobody cares about the networks. I don't even know what that means, really. Like That's a stupid fucking thing for him to say. And I agree. I, I have a ton of respect for that guy. Lorne Michaels is like one of the most powerful dudes in Hollywood yep. in my mind because of everything that he's accomplished for SNL and all these different actors and comedians that he gave this start to. So it was just weird to hear him say that. But again, look, if you want to go down that road, mourn, you're going to eventually lose. But maybe you'll be dead before then and it won't maybe matter. So. I don't yeah. know. Do do whatever you want. You're a billionaire. so uh, Or not a billionaire, but a multi, 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 multi millionaire. <laughs> so all in all, I thought the Emmys were good, though. Um Again, check our Instagram out at Oysters, Clams, Cockles for, for some outfit pics from, from all your favorite characters that were there, Cersei notably missing. Mm. Um, some things I found out. First of all, did you know Kit Harrington's full legal name is Christopher Catsby Harrington? I did not. It is. Uh, that's the only thing okay. on my list that I found out. We're also going to be rolling out some t-shirts on grandeggshop.com, hopefully to celebrate Peter Dinklage's Emmy win as well as the show as a whole. But specifically, we did come up with some pretty cool Dinklage designs, so be on the lookout for those at grandexshop.com in the coming days. Also, I love Peter Dinklage. His speech was really good. I always like hearing from him. Mm -hmm. He was kind of cocky about it. He was like, yeah, I think uh, two years ago, I forgot to thank my wife, so I just wanted to make sure that I do that this time. Like, <laughs> like acknowledging that you've recently won this exact same award is just kind of funny. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, casual flex. Yeah, right there. it was a casual flex. But yeah, he's, he, 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 he's like, Peter Dinklage is probably somewhere in between uh, Tyrion and his character from Elf. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he also said, uh, he, he was like, I think I'm so thankful to like George R. R. Martin or George Martin is what he called him. And then uh, uh, Benioff and Weiss for, for giving me this opportunity. I can't walk around on the street anymore, but whatever. Right, like he right. Basically being like, 
damn it, like I'm too famous now. Yeah. Which that's forever. That's never that going is away. Yeah. Yep. People are always going to be like, Darian. Yes. Oh my God. And like try to pick him up. And he's just like, oh my God, you <laughs> fucking idiots. Regular sized morons. But yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but I love Peter Dinklage. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's good dude. Any other Emmy's thoughts? Um, uh, by the way, I just wanted to add to that. I I don't think I've ever heard anybody just call George Martin just George Martin yeah. and like drop the RR or whatever. Yeah. And he said it and I was like, why haven't I just been doing this forever? Like this is so much easier. So I, from now on I'm not going to try to say GRRM fuck that. or George RRR R. Martin. I'm with you. It's just George Martin. Uh, That's so much easier. Thanks again, Peter Dinklage. Thank you Peter Dinklage for setting the precedent. Now yeah. we can all do that. Once yeah. he's done it on national TV, it's over. Right international tv it's over we can all say george just george martin yeah george martin saying george rr R. martin <laughs> makes it sound like you're having some kind of speech impediment or something like yeah which you know not ideal no final thoughts on the emmys were just that and i'm i when the nominations came out i we talked about this briefly but for me like pretty much all of my favorite shows of the year came from the comedy section so really dude find that list and just watch all of those shows because i'm way behind Barry, on comedy glow Atlanta and um, Marvelous. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel are all just like unbelievable. So shows. the only one I've watched so far is Barry, and I loved it. And the other ones that you just named are on my list specifically because you've mentioned them to yeah. me before. But all I thought it was funny how every show in the drama categories was a show that I've watched and loved. And Ozark got a lot of attention more than i expected that was cool i was happy to see jason bateman get, get nominated. that drama nod nom that's cool he, and i think he deserved it dude i don't know if you finished season two yet but he I, i've not that ozark is a show that has has for some reason like fall, fallen behind for okay me. i've well, never even watched season it's one. really fucking hard to keep up with all these shows yeah. but he does an unbelievable job if you're a jason bateman fan you'll yeah. you'll enjoy the show it's basically that easy so um and i had watched all the dramas too except for the crown and the americans i'd seen every other every other uh season of that was nominated the americans oh i thought it was i thought it was hilarious that saul berenson is still getting nominated still getting nominated for for the exact same character that he's playing the same season is just happening over and over in some twilight zone and saul just keeps coming to the emmys and they're just fucking (laughs) what how is that show still on the air that is one of that's one of the political things like people are like mandy patinkin is our favorite actor ever we're going to nominate him as long as homeland is going on yeah because he always does some emmys emmys worthy spiel on one of the episodes he's awesome i side note i've started watching jack ryan on amazon okay and i'm very happy to have a show to fill my homeland void that's working this is great because it's the same exact stuff only i don't have to deal with carrie matheson and i do get to deal with jim halpert does anyone have cry face in that nobody has cry face no it's amazing oh man that sounds so good yeah because there's no Carrie, the worst <laughs> character in the history of TV. No offense to There's nobody like almost running over their child or I anything mean, like that. Just, so. just horrible child endangerment <laughs> every episode. Just just the worst situations. Okay. Oh, the other... Uh, fuck, I had something important to say about the Emmys, and now I can't, I can't recall. That's okay. If I remember, I'll bring it up later. Okay. Let's get into it. The hotline calls first. Uh, 866-43-CLAMS is our hotline number. We've got two calls this week. You can call whenever you want. It's a voicemail. If you mess up, just hang up and call back. Leave questions, clam fam corrections, theories, whatever you want. 866-43-CLAMS. Here is the first call for today. Hey, this is Becca from NorCal, and I'm probably going to be your millionth caller about this stupid Prince of Dorn thing. Um, But 
short version is they were never conquered by Aegon during the conquest, and so they had to get treated in. They got all these special deals. They actually got to marry into the royal family at one point, which pissed a bunch of people off. Um, and I think that's the short version. Shireen is a princess because Stannis was calling himself king. Jamie never gets called a prince of Lannister, so it's just a special Dorn thing. Um, also, if you could hook us up with some dog OCC gear, that would be pretty sweet. I know my Frenchie would love to rep the clam fam out on his walk. Thanks. Bye. Well, yeah, now we have to get dog gear. Oh, interesting. Hmm. That's just a blatant, obvious thing to do <laughs> is, is get dog garb Okay. representing the clam fam. Yeah, but thank you for calling and for clarifying further the whole Prince of Dorne situation. Does anybody else have any other questions on that? You know, it doesn't matter because we never go back to Dorne ever again. <laughs> Turns out the place was wiped. It's just nuked. There's nothing there anymore. Doesn't matter at all. Here's the other call. Hey, Clam Fam. Uh, Rossum, uh, Barrett. One thing I just hoped y'all would talk about is whether or not um, you think John's soul consciousness was inside Ghost after he died, before he got revived. Um, obviously, Bran has the full warging abilities, and in the books there's more um, about the Stark kids having those those abilities. Rob, like someone said, uh, may have transformed into, or may have gone into Grey Wind when he died, um, and then gotten killed a second time. Uh, in the books, Arya has more of a connection with Nymeria. She has dreams of her uh, roaming the woods as a wolf, uh, which you would assume is Nymeria, and obviously with Bran having those powers, there's definitely something that John has, and I think that they didn't really delve into it much in the show, but I think John's kind of went into Wolf's body, I mean, uh, his Wolf's body after he died, and then once it left the body, once it left Ghost to go back to his body, Ghost looks up, so I don't know if y'all could talk about that, maybe discuss that, but thanks. I absolutely thought that was a cool little nod to the connection between John and Ghost that is it you're right that's we've we've discussed this many 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 times how they never fight, quite figured out a way to to get the whole wolf stark direwolf stark connection thing fully integrated into the television series yep. as a result of the way CGI works and the budgeting it's just a difficult thing to convey Back, you remember back yeah, when they were doing so, scenes with Bran where right. he was running through the woods or whatever? Like totally. It sort of worked. Yeah. Because you're in wolf POV and he's like going through the ground floor or the forest or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, But it didn't... That was never going to be able to be something that they did all the time. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a hard thing to to get across because it's so mental. It is. It's cerebral. It works so it's in not the very, it's It's harder to show. It doesn't work as well on the TV show and I thought this was a great way to kind of nod at there being more there was was that our final call yeah well so let's jump ju just jump right in then because my first note about this episode yeah is they pretty much like flash right to ghost as john is waking up and breathing heavily yes and it looked to me it kind of looks like ghost is like nodding a little bit like he's saying yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> excellent excellent like mr yeah. burns yeah uh-huh did you notice i that always imagined that ghost had the exact same voice as mr burns <laughs> Smithers, release the hounds. <laughs> yeah, that's always how I. I don't imagine. know. He just like has this kind of like nod, this little nod. No, he does. Yeah, absolutely. And so, whether or not, yeah, I, I'm not sure what I think about. I, I don't think John's consciousness. 
it certainly wasn't actively inside of Ghost because he tells us right. that there was nothing on the other yeah, side. Yeah, it's not like he took a, was like reincarnated as Ghost and then was operating as Ghost. Right, no, right. Now maybe it was stored there. Maybe he was stored there. Sure, I, I can, I can buy, I can, I can buy, buy something that. like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can feed me that. Because mm-hmm. there's, because we do certainly know that there is some type of supernatural connection yes and they do show ghost quite a bit to kind of like emphasize that yeah and then also ghost nods and says yes yes, yes excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So, excellent. all right so let's just get into the full thing season six episode three Oathbreaker, written by benioff and weiss directed by daniel sackheim daenerys meets her future brand meets the past tommen confronts the high sparrow 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 Arya trains to be no one. Varys finds an answer. Ramsay gets a gift. These are starting to suck again. I'm probably just going to stop doing them. <laughs> They're only fun every once in a while, and then they lose their fucking funness. We're at the wall. We open the episode with a shot of Davos Seaworth, played by Liam Cunningham, who, by the way, maybe my favorite older gentleman who is an actor in the world now, in terms of like the actual guy. Mm-hmm. He just like rips sigs and retweets uh, <laughs> random liberal propaganda on, on Twitter, and I love it. Uh, not necessarily because of the politics, but because I think it's funny and he's funny. And he's trying to make a difference. Like, he's he's a super activist dude, but he also rips cigs. I enjoy that. And his facial hair. So, he starts off, like, staring in total shock. We just get that close-up of his face. At, he's staring at a freshly reincarnated Jon Snow. And his expression is so good. It's just utter disbelief. And it, I think that utter disbelief is mostly about the fact that the Red Woman actually pulled something off. Like, it actually worked. This dude is back from the dead somehow. It's fucking amazing. So John sits up ass naked on his table. They have him sitting on. He's freezing. He's scared. He's naked. He's very confused. And he looks over at Ghost, who is looking at him like, Dad? And then he like looks down at the scars on his stomach where he was stabbed. It's it's almost like you get the feeling John in this situ- at the beginning here is still trying to figure out what parts of this are a dream, what's real. Is he actually back? Like this, I can't even imagine. Obviously, what a stupid thing to say. I can't be. I can't imagine being brought back from the dead. But I can't. I, I how shocked you would be. It's insane. The only note that I like, that, you know, I tried to kind of make this happen in my brain, and I, I have. So I'm very vasovagal, and I kind of have white coat syndrome. So I don't know what any of that meant. So okay, well, I'm about to explain. Oh, so uh, when I go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. It can be as simple as like getting like regular checkups t- stuff yeah, type yeah. done, or as serious as like, oh, there might be something wrong with you. There's a and lump. Like, yeah, yes. The, all they have to do is like say, oh, there's a lump right here, and then say like one word that I don't understand, and I will pass out. No shit. Yeah, I'll just drop. Oh, that's awesome. And not for you. That's what's called the va- that's a, so that's a vasovagal experience or whatever. It's like when all the blood rushes out of your head and you pass out. This happens to you. Yeah, I didn't know this. Yeah. Uh, probably because it only started happening to me within like the last three or four years. Uh. Yeah. Uh, as I've grown into middle age and have to start fearing death more and more every single well, waking all, you're hour. Not, you're not in middle age, but the, <laughs> I hope you're not in middle age yet, but the, the doctors are just the worst. Yeah. They're just the yeah. fucking worst. Sorry, doctors. <laughs> you just are. You're, you're just the worst. So anyway, so w- when, when this happens and you finally come out of the, of the passing out, uh-huh. I have no idea where I am and it takes me like several moments to like regather and for my like brain to put itself back together and like figure out what's happening to me. Oh fuck. And it's all, it also, it's like this exact thing. Yeah. And it also feels like I've had about 9,000 different dreams. 
Okay. Over the and this is like over the course of I don't know five seconds yeah, or less yeah. that you're out. Just an overwhelming amount of like brain activity. Yeah. So it's really really disorienting to come out of it. And like that's the only thing that I could possibly compare this to, except for that the last thing that you remember isn't a doctor telling you something weird. It's actually getting stabbed in the heart and dying by a child. Yeah. <laughs> so this would be. I mean, yeah, this would be the the be worst a thing traumatizing. ever. Yeah. Be a little traumatizing, which is important to remember as we go forward in this episode, and we're kind of judging John for the decisions that he starts to make. So. Again, uh, Davos goes over to cover John up, and John kind of falls into his arms before getting wrapped in a blanket. Davos asks him what he remembers, and John says, They stabbed me. Ollie, he put a knife in my heart. I shouldn't be here. Davos explains, The lady brought you back. Melisandre comes in, realizes that she has actually successfully done something with the Lord of Light's power, and that maybe her whole life isn't a lie after all. (laughs) And she is so fucking relieved, like you could see it in her face. But she immediately starts interviewing. She's like, afterwards, after they stabbed you, after you died, where did you go? What did you see? And Jon Snow's like, nothing. There was nothing at all. And he looks kind of terrified, mm-hmm. and it's really spooky. You're just like, oh. It's not the answer you want to hear if you're a living no, person. No, absolutely not. And then he also then he also has to live with that for the yes, rest of his days. The, yes. <laughs> is that when he dies the next time, Nothing's back nothing. there. Yeah, it's just yeah. nothing. Um, Melisandre says the Lord let you come back for a reason Stannis was not the prince who was promised but someone has to be and John's reaction to that is he like lowers his head like lowers his eyes like fuck me not me that what this is the biggest cop out of all time Melisandre rode for this dude and and pushed him (laughs) to do all of these things for years and the second somebody else comes back to life Oh fuck! Stannis wasn't the prince that was promised, but somebody has to be. Hey, you're the new guy. Like that, it just so easily replaced. It just makes you feel even worse for Stannis. What a terrible string of decisions he made. Um, Davos kicks Melisandre out out of the room. He's like, "You need a moment with John alone." He says, "You were dead, and now you're not. That's completely fucking mad." Seems to me. I can only imagine how it seems to you. And John says, "I did what I thought was right, and I got murdered for it, and now I'm back. Why?" Davos's response is, I don't know. Maybe we'll never know. What does it matter? You go on. You fight for as long as you can. You clean up as much of the shit as you can. And Jon Snow says, I don't know how to do that. I thought I did, but I failed. And Davos says, good. Now go fail again. And, King uh, of pep talks. Oh, he is. Always and forever, this dude will be the best pep talker in any show. He, he can get you to run through a brick wall. So he gets dressed up in his Lord Commander gear, Commander, and John steps out to address uh, the men of the Night's Watch for the first time since coming back from the dead. And they're all looking at him like he's a ghost. Like, what? how else would you look at him? You have to. I notice they've got the scars by his right eye, uh, super prevalent now. They were they were prevalent before, but they're like these are serving kind of as the reminder that John has died. And been brought back. Because we can't see the scars on his stomach. They're not mm-hmm. always visible. Mm-hmm. So they're utilizing the scars on his face to kind of give us that that feel. And he's he's whiter than normal. He's a little he just has that kind of undead look to him, like a little vampire. A little bit, a little vampir- bit. Yeah. Vampiric sure. sort of yeah. a little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh Tormund approaches John and says, They think you're some kind of god, the man who returned from the dead. John says, I'm not a god, and Tormund says, I know that. I saw your pecker. What kind of god would have a pecker that small? This little uh, walk here for John is a scene, uh, you know, a couple of scenes of this of this episode that I like to call "bros having moments." It is. That's a that's just two bros <laughs> making dick jokes together. Is that's all. Yeah, just having a nice little moment. 
And they like laugh and hug it out. And John winces in pain mm. every time he hugs anyone because he's just come back from being uh, a corpse. I also find that to be like he hugs Ed immediately after this and then winces again. And it keeps saying like winces on the subtitles mm -hmm. over and over. Clearly his body is still healing. So Ed says to John, your eyes are still brown. Is that you in there? And John says, I think so. Hold off on burning my body for now. And Ed's like, that's funny. You sure that's still you in there? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, you weren't funny before. Maybe John's a stand-up comedian now. Second life. Just bros having moments, just, tell you what. That's just more. I just, okay, I know people saw him dead in there, but don't you think that like the murmurs would start to be like, oh, I heard he wasn't dead at all. I heard this just a big scam. Probably, right? I heard I heard he was I heard he wasn't dead. This is all faked. This is it's all a hoax. Yeah, this is a hoax. That's what I heard. Yeah, I I Don't think, you think some of that that talk would start? I think because he was laid out on the ground for so long and yeah. like everybody kind of saw him bled out and just stabbed to fuck all. And then a bunch of people saw him dead as a doorknob yeah, in there. I, yeah. But surely somebody's like, "Oh, this is horse shit. He wasn't <laughs> dead." Boo! Like, yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that. Um. Anyway, next thing you know, we're at sea with uh, Sam and Gilly. They're on a boat to Old Town, right? And we get it. Yeah, we get a little precursor to the poop loop here. The, it's a beautiful precursor to the poop loop, <laughs> which I can't wait to share I with could, everyone. Again. I could not. Uh, I couldn't find. Couldn't figure out a good thing to call it that sounded like poop loop. Nothing rhymes with vom or with barf. Like the puke loop. I don't know. Yeah, it's so, just him puking yeah, in a bucket. That's why grody. I just went with precursor to the poop loop. I like that. Yeah. We'll, we'll stick with that. But he's going to go to Old Town to become a maester. Gilly is like loving the boat ride. She's looking out the window in the middle of the storm and smiling while Sam is seasick, bent over a bucket. And uh, Gilly tells Sam she used to think the sea was called the sea because it was nothing but water as far as the eye can see. And then she explains, sea, sea. They're spelt different, but they sound the same. It was before I learned how to read, obviously. And Sam is just like, oh my God. It's like <laughs> a moment where... You're dating a really hot chick and she's kind of a dumbass and she says something stupid, but she's so hot and you're just like, oh, fuck it. So you just puke in a bucket. We've all been there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Gilly tells Sam it won't be much longer and how excited she is to see Old Town. Captain says it's the most beautiful city in Westeros, whatever. And then Sam decides it's time to let Gilly in on a bit of a, a white lie he's been telling her. He says the Citadel doesn't admit women. There won't be a place for you there or little Sam. It's like, dude, what? you probably should have mentioned this back at the fucking wall, eh? Like, why just bring this up all of a sudden? I don't, I don't know. But she's like, I stayed at Castle Black. There's no women allowed there. Sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. That's a good yeah. anecdote. <laughs> he says, the Citadel isn't Castle Black, but I and I don't have Jon Snow or Maester Aemon to help me bend the rules. Which, if you think about it, Sam kind of has been doing literally everywhere he goes yeah, for, yeah. for a long time Yeah, he's now. a real rule breaker, that he's Sam. He's a real rule breaker for such a... Uh, straight laced dude well he used to be anyway I guess he's not anymore I mean he's been getting it in <laughs> but Gilly volunteers to stay in Old Town realizes maybe they're not going to the Citadel and Sam then admits that they're going to his home first which is called Horn Hill it's where he was raised with his dickhead father his uh, loving mother and his wonderful brother Dickon <laughs> which is still funny so they're going to drop Gilly and little Sam off at Horn Hill in an effort to keep them safe with his parents and his brother. Gilly says, if you think it's for the best, we trust you. And Sam says, I'd feel better if you threw something at me and stormed off, to which Gilly responds, I'd never do that to the father of my son. Sam looks at little Sam and then he vomits again. It's a magical moment. What? How would you take that if you're Sam? 
I, I, that's that's good for Sam. That's good for Sam. Okay. It seems a little like a little quick on the trigger there. I can't just be throwing around father of my son. She's just like you're my like you are my person now. Like we are. A, she's just saying we are a family. Like this is like you know. Yeah, but you don't get the feeling Sam's kind of like you know, little Sam is your thing. I'm gonna be reading a lot <laughs> about all the saving the world stuff. Maybe you kind of take care. Maybe of Maybe a little bit. Maybe, Maybe I try a little to bit. Save the world. I mean, he is dumping them at his parents' house. He is, you know, which while well, he goes off to the fun citadel where he gets to just you know cure diseases and stuff and read a bunch of books in a Harry Potter room. Yeah, and well, it turns out that's not the case. Real it's, selfish. It's just cleaning poop is the entire thing at the <laughs> citadel. But we'll get there later. Oh yeah, there's that too. Yeah. So next we flash to a scene where uh, we don't really know where we are. What's going on? There's like a man sharpening a sword. Six other dudes are coming up on horseback or somewhere around that number. But then we see Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven, and they're taking in this scene from a safe distance, so it's clearly one of the vision quests that the Three-Eyed Raven is taking Bran on. We know where we are. It's the Tower of Joy, uh, which I don't remember. I know it's not said in this episode. It's just referred to as the Tower. I think the Tower of Joy, I know it's in the books, but I don't think it ever enters the series as that being referred to as the Tower of Joy. I think we got that straight up from book readers and read it. I think it. that's correct. And uh, yeah. But that is... For the record, what the tower is called in the books. It's the Tower of Joy. Um, so, Bran quickly recognizes, that's my father. It's a young Ned Stark is one of the men. And uh, Three-Eyed Raven says, and the man beside him is Howland Reed, Mira's father, who we've touched on this before, but the most influential character, the least acknowledged, maybe in the whole story of A Song of Ice and Fire. Howland Reed. Um, not just because his offspring become extremely intricate to Bran getting to become the Three-Eyed Raven, but also because of the things that he personally did with Ned Stark. And there's a lot of people out there who still think Howland Reed maybe becomes involved in the storyline somehow. That's mm. not going to happen, but it was an interesting, you know, wish. Uh, they even have a dude, the, the guy... That wouldn't, they, that wouldn't surprise me if Howland Reed pops up somehow. Uh, it'd be tough to explain who he is. People are so stupid. Yeah, they wouldn't remember what what he's from. This is a pretty important scene. It's, this scene is very important, and I totally didn't realize it was this early on in the season. I thought it was further towards the the back end of the yeah, season. Yeah, but um, true. The guy they cast is Helen Reed. By the way, great job to the casting director because he looks like he'd be Jojen and Mira's dad. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I always respect when they're able to tie that in somehow. Yeah, right. I like to see a little familial resemblance, which is obviously significantly harder to cast. So then we have this conflict. It's Sir Arthur Dane, known as the Sword of the Morning, who Ned Stark told Bran was the best swordsman he ever saw. He walks right past Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven, so that it's very clear to us no one else can see Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven. They're just there on their vision quest thingy. And he's got another dude with him. They meet up with Ned and, and Howland Reed and some other guys. They explain exchange pleasantries. Ned asks why they weren't at the Battle of the Trident, which is important in the history of Westeros. Very important. It's strange that the Targaryens would not have their finest swordsman, the Sword of the Morning, at the Battle of the Trident. The, and the guys that are supposed to basically have Prince Rhaegar's back. Yes, this is these are Kingsguard yeah. that they've got out here at the and, Tower of Joy. And Robert kills Rhaegar at the Trident. Yes, so they weren't there to protect their king or their uh, lord or whatever. Um, so this it's, it's just an odd situation. He has to explain himself, and he says, Arthur Dane does, that their prince wanted them here. We don't know why yet. And then we get to the meat of it. Ned Stark looks up at the tower, which from, you know, as we as I said, Tower of Joy from the book, from Reddit, whatever you want to 
credit. And he asks Arthur Dane point blank, where is my sister? The Sword of the Morning's response is, I wish you good fortune in the world wars to come. He straps on his helmet, and now it begins. Then he pulls two swords. We have never seen anybody rock dual long swords. Like, these are normal-sized swords mm-hmm. in both hands. This would be extremely fucking difficult. Ned's response is cheesy as hell. He says, no, now it ends. That's just a bad line. But what unfolds as a result... I is thought the, it was tight. Dude, it's a gnarly sword fight. This is the best sword fight in I, the no, show I like ever. the line. I know, I'm saying... The line sucks. You're saying you like it. But yeah, the sword tight. fight, no one would argue this is not tight. The sword fight is very, very good. Yes. It's like seven dudes at first, but it very quickly ends up being four on one because Arthur Dane just rolls everybody. Yeah. Like the guy I was trying to figure out how they did this because here okay, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Typically choreographed sword fights end up looking a little lame because clearly you can't be swinging full impact steel weapons at each other on set when you're an untrained most likely unathletic Hollywood actor to actress person. Mm-hmm. This didn't come off like that at all. This came off as like, this was crazy. It was very cool to see. Yeah. Uh, he's like dual swinging these swords all over the place. It looks very real. So, and it's intense as fuck. Yeah. What I liked about it was normally when we see these situations where we've got like a situation where it's clear that one side has the numbers. Yeah. Like Ned is rolling deep. His boys theoretically should be able to roll these two guys. Yeah. And usually they have to like kind of like to get the one guy, you know, the amazing fighter. They kind of have to cheat it. Where it's like a lot of one-on-one situations that somehow miraculously happen in their favor. What I loved about this, the choreography, is that they are all attacking Arthur Dane at the same time. Yeah. And it, I mean... You can see where he like legit gets blocks, a block block and then block, like attack is block, like block, yeah. yeah and it is incredible because it legitimately looks like he is going four on one yes and really winning. though like you believe it and yeah. that's normally the part that's hard with these these sword fights especially if it's multiple people attacking one guy you're like oh come on he'd be right. dead in two seconds you totally buy it in this case somehow the way they did the choreography the distance they put between the camera and the fight in some parts I'm with you. That was the part that was most amazing to me when they show four guys going at him all at once and he's like, ding, 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 like just like mm-hmm, kind of fucking mm-hmm, deflecting mm-hmm. people. Um, but it's very, very cool. It ends up with Ned and the Sword of the Morning going one on one. And this dude, Arthur Dan, is just not fucking around. It Ned looks like, holy shit, I'm going to die. Yeah. Like he's clearly outmatched. As the Three Eyed Raven says, far better. Yeah. Brand's like, hey, he's better than my father. And Three Eyed Raven says, much better. Brand says, but father beat him. Three-Eyed Raven says, did he? <laughs> and Bran says, I know he did. I heard the story a thousand times. By the way, uh, Bran is now in full-blown terrible puberty. <laughs> this is the worst of Bran that we'll ever see. It's He looks just terrible, but it's not his fault. It's just part of growing I, up. And I don't know if I agree. He's he's so birdie in the season seven. It's When he said that particular line, I know he did. I heard the story a thousand times. He looked just like he does in season, season seven for me. And I was just like, okay. oh, we're getting into that point. <laughs> Ew, that's unfortunate. So Arthur Dane disarms Ned. And he's about to finish him when Howland Reed comes up from behind and stabs him through the back of the neck. Uh, which a very perceptive Brand Stark confirms by saying, he stabbed him in the back. And then Ned finishes Arthur with, a, uh, with one more swing of the sword. We hear a scream from the tower. What's in the tower, Bran asks. And then the Three-Eyed Raven's like, that's enough for today. We'll visit another time. Bran runs toward the tower anyway, yells out, Father! And Ned Stark, in the vision, 
stops on the staircase and turns around as if he heard Bran yelling. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, But there's no one there, obviously. But this is the first time we see the impact Bran can actually have on a place he's like vision questing or whatever. And we still to this day, through season seven, are not entirely clear on exactly how much influence he can have over the past. Right. But we do know it's an issue, so this is an important time to note the first time we ever see it. Um, Three-Eyed Raven jumps in and stops Bran and pulls him back to the present where Bran is very pissed off and he says, he heard me. And the Three-Eyed Raven says, maybe. Maybe you heard the wind. So he's not going to give Bran any of that shit yet. But then he does say, the past is already written, the ink is dry. Which we know to not be the case. Or we theorize is not the case. The second one. We theorize that it's not the case. I mean, most of us buy into one theory or another regarding Bran impacting the past in some way, putting things in well, motion that right. get us to where and we, we are. Know, and even the Three-Eyed Raven says that he's been waiting there. The, way, the reason he had to wait there for a thousand years and let the tree grow through him is because he's been waiting for Bran. He right. had to wait for Bran. Yeah. So he had to wait many, many generations and like, you know. Yeah. Somehow knew that Bran would eventually come along. Which all makes it very prophetic and like... It's, and so it's weird because, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm, I, I th- that's, this is the type of stuff that really like plays into the whole time as a flat circle type stuff yeah. that, that Game of Thrones will either address this coming season or, or won't. I, I kind of hope we do. I, I, I want more to this and I, I don't think we're going to get it if I had to guess, um, but I, w- I would like that if, if it could happen. Uh, this seems very reminiscent of like Yoda and Luke to me. It's very, A little bit, very yeah. Star Wars, you mm-hmm. know, when Yoda and Luke are in the, the, the marsh or whatever yeah, and Luke's trying just to train him. dickhead the entire yeah. time and Yoda's like, I'm trying to help you, you fuck. One thing I wanted to talk about was just the whole Liana thing in general, like I, this is something I don't think we kind of broke down or talked about first go round, but she kind of put her brother in a really bad spot for this the whole the whole thing. Like she had, you know, she ditched Robert, mm-hmm. went and got with a married man, basically, and even a if married he, enemy, even if he eventually annulled the marriage or whatever or whatever he did. Sure, and. Then an entire war started over it, and not once was she like, you know, maybe she could have told Ned, like, hey, this is, it's not really worth fighting about, like, I actually chose to do this. This is consensual. Yeah. Everybody like, chill. She, she, you know? It and, seems like she could have stopped it. Yeah, or had a little bit more of a hand in, like, calming it down, and it, then in this part, where the war is over, and Robert has won, and Rhaegar is dead, does she want these guys out here? Gonna, they're gonna kill her brother, man. Yeah, it's a pretty important piece of the puzzle. It's an interesting... I mean, he's literally one second away from dying. Her brother. Yeah. And and I uh, realize it might be like a... It's either my baby or my brother thing, and maybe you're going to choose the baby there. But it's really not like that at all. It's it's just... I think it was so complicated. As we see, when eventually we do get up into the Tower of Joy, she is literally just having the child. Right. So I don't think she's in a position to ch- to do anything helpful. Well, the well the, at that moment. I mean, anyway. the important part later is that Robert killed every single Targaryen that was left, except for the ones that escaped. Yeah. So they were going about and just eradicating Targaryens. So okay, the, I got you. the safety of this baby or the secrecy of what this That's baby was. That's why they're out there in the tower. Yeah, yeah. was super super this is a important sensitive, sensitive that it was deal. kept secret. Okay. But then the only reason that it's kept secret 
is because Ned shows up and saves the baby and takes and takes him under his wing. Yeah. If those if the sword if the king's guards take care of business and do kill them, then what do they do? There's no Targaryens left. Everybody's dead. They're they just going to be hunted for the rest yeah, of their I lives. Yeah, I don't know. They're, they're, they're so it's just, I don't know. Situation. It's just like this kind of like conundrum that I don't think we'd ever really thought about where like Lyanna kind of put everybody in a tough spot. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And I, I, we're going to get deeper into that in season eight. I'm pretty fucking positive yeah, that we'll see yeah. more Lyanna Stark and how her relationship with Rhaegar affected everything. But the only other two little bits of information that Three-Eyed Raven gives Bran here in this scene, again, stay too long where you don't belong and you will never return. That has been repeatedly expressed to Bran at this point. Uh, also, you won't be here forever. You won't be an old man in a tree. But before you leave, you must learn. And Bran says, learn what? And the Three-Eyed Raven says, everything. Then we're over in Vias Dothrak. Everything. Everything. Danny arrives. Learn you must. Learn you must. <laughs> Become a tree, you will. <laughs> Uh, Danny arrives at this hut where they keep all these widows. Look like a bird, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, where they keep all these the widows of the great calls. Speaking like Yoda is really fun. Uh, The two Dothraki dudes walk her in, but then they leave because this woman tells her to. They just strip Danny down naked, take her dragon necklace. They give her some shitty brown Dothraki widow garb to wear. And uh, Danny tells these chicks, like, look, you're making a huge mistake. I'm the wife of the great Kyle. There's some nasty old woman in charge that tells her they know who she is, that she specifically remembers her eating the stallion's heart, which is interesting. So this is one of the women that was in the room when Danny did that ritual. And then that main, ha- uh, the old hag goes on about how blah, 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 and this and that, and how Danny will need to be fortunate enough to stay with them. Like, there's going to be some test to see that she can be Dosh Kaleen. Danny asks, where else would I go? Every Khaleesi becomes Dosh Kaleen. And the old hag explains that, yeah, immediately after the death of their call, all Khaleesi's become Dosh Kaleen. But Danny went out in the world. And that's forbidden. This is a stupid rule. Who cares? Why is this being... I didn't... This scene was a little annoying to me. Hmm. I get the setup and I know what's coming, so it's easier for me to be, like, critical of it. But I just hate this whole hut. And everyone in it. Well, this is, I mean, it, but it, but it's, I don't know. It all felt, feels in keeping with all their weird traditions and like rules and all that anyway. Also, is they're that very, you the know, hut they're... where she ate the heart? Yeah. So they took her to be approved by all the Dosh Colleen. That was that whole scene was her eating yeah. the heart in the presence of them in this actual hut right here. Yeah. That yeah. makes it a yeah. little cooler and a little more, I, now I kind of get it. Because that's also where her brother died, right. I believe. Yep. Right. Yep. 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 And uh, okay, so it's an this is an important hut, not just any old hut. And I think the other thing is that they they is that they just don't like her. She's different than ever than all of them. So they she's the, she's the pretty white girl. Yeah, exactly. She's, yeah. she's a little out of place for sure. Yeah, yeah. she bathes too often. <laughs> uh, back in Marine, Varys is fanning himself in the throne room when a woman is brought to him. It's the same prostitute who orchestrated multiple attacks on Danny's Unsullied and the uh, the Second Sons. Her name is Vala. And Varys tells her he wants to make her happy in exchange for the information he needs. He says he's not going to torture her. He's going to make her happy. That's very clear from the get-go. He lets her know that he's fully aware of all the shit she's done, helping the Sons of the Harpy murder the Unsullied and the Second Sons. And then he brings up Dom, which we find out is her son. Dom, which just reminds me of the Fast and the Furious, but whatever. Uh, This is a threat. Hell yeah. She named him after Vin Diesel's character. She did. Yeah. 
Uh, he says, Varys does say children are blameless. I would never hurt them. Your boy is in no immediate danger. This I swear to you. But between us, dear, you did conspire to kill the queen's soldiers. We both know the penalty for that crime. He's basically blackmailing her. He says, how will poor Dom get on without his mother and with his breathing problem? Apparently Dom has a breathing problem. Mm -hmm. Asthma, perhaps. Uh, Vala says that if she tells Varys anything, they'll kill her. She means the sons of the harpy. And Varys is like, look, I've got this whole setup for you already. There's a ship leaving tomorrow for Pentos. There's already a spot reserved for you and your son. And I'm going to throw in this big-ass bag of silver. And this is the biggest bag of coins we've ever seen on this show, for the record. So it's a new life for Vala and Dom or death. She has to choose. And uh, He mentions that he's not a torturer, but he has tortured somebody. Who? The wizard that cut his... Uh his twig and That's berries true. off. That's true. We but we never saw him torture the wizard. We just eh. have to. I mean, the wizard was locked in a box with his mouth sewn shut. That's yeah. pretty close to torture. <laughs> but I guess he could argue there was a third party involved. I don't. I, you yeah. know how Paris is. He's slippery. Anyway, th this was a great. Th he was really chewing up the scenery in this scene. I thought this is good shit. And I don't think Conleth Hill was ever nominated for an Emmy. But he this this could have been his little highlight reel moment I, right here. I am totally. I thought the exact same thing watching this scene. I was like, this might be his finest acting. Yeah. Where he's carrying the scene. Yeah, he just really gets other... to slither around and like do his thing, you know? Yeah, it's cool to watch him in his element. Uh, that actor, by the way, every time you see him, like every time we put up a photo of him, what's his name? Conleth Hill. Conleth Hill. Every time we see a picture, or I see a picture of him and put it up on uh, Oysters, Clams, Cockles Instagram, uh -huh. people get totally freaked out by seeing him with hair. <laughs> and all the comments will be like, this makes me uncomfortable. He Please. has hair? In real life, yes. He's full, a full head of hair. What, does he shave his head for the show? I don't fucking know. Maybe he has a bald cap or whatever, but it looks really funny. He's just got hair. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's, you're right. You're so right. So it's just Varys with hair. Huh. And that's it. Um. So anyway, meanwhile. Good for old Conleth, man. Oh, yeah. Look at full, that hair. Full head of hair, dude. Beautiful hair. Four hymns. But <laughs> so other elsewhere in Marine, Tyrion meets with Masande and Grey Worm and uh, by far the funniest scene in this season thus far where they're waiting for Varys to come back and to pass the time, Tyrion is trying to have a conversation with these two dull, dull human beings. He's like, you two, you spend a great deal of time together. What would you be talking about if I weren't here? Can I tell you what they'd be talking about? Yes. Patrol. 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 When I am going on patrol with the Unsullied, <laughs> what we see on patrol, who we captured on patrol. 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 <laughs> and Tyrion's like... Oh, that's good. That's very good. But that's a report. I was thinking more of a conversation. A wise man once said, the true history of the world is the history of great conversations in elegant rooms, which I love. And Masande says, who said this? And Tyrion says, me, just now. Yeah, yeah. He gives up on conversations fairly quickly and moves on to trying to get them to play a game. And Grey Worm says, games are for children. And uh, Masande says... My master Krasnus would sometimes make us play games. And Tyrion's like, there, that's a start. And she says, only the girls. And he's like, no, 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 not that. Of course not that. Innocent games, fun games, drinking games. But then they both tell him they don't drink. And he's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with these people? He tries to explain the drinking game that he once played with Braun and Shay. He wants to get them to play without alcohol. But he quickly realizes you can't play without drinking. And then finally Varys shows up and saves this whole horribly awkward comedic <laughs> situation. And tells them some big news that he got out of his little uh, Vala deal. He found out the people backing the Sons of the Harpy are the good masters of Astapor and the wise masters of Yunkai with the help 
from their friends in Volantis. So three major slave cities are financing the Sons of the Harpy Rebellion, which really makes it tough to see how Tyrion and, and company could stop said rebellion. Uh, yeah, and maybe it's because I already knew the answer, but is this a little anticlimactic, the answer? It's, or it just seems really obvious. Like, oh, yeah, the other three cities that they conquered but then went back yeah. to the masters or, like, funding yeah. the, re- the, re- the rebels in this other city that they still, the one city that they do still have. I, I don't know. It's, like, fun, you know, fine. It should have been presented All as... All it cost was a bag of silver to get to get confirmation that this was true, but... I think they should have done a better job of presenting this as the favorite theory going in M- maybe to so. the investigation. So. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that's pretty clear. They just needed proof. So they got that proof, and now they know. So it's going to be, how do we deal with it from there? In King's Landing, Kyburn is tending to the ailments of one of his little birds. It's a one little boy in particular who's clearly being abused at his home. And Kyburn has uh, murdered the boy's father, had the boy's <laughs> father murdered as a result. It sounded like the, it, this was a, a dude who was beating both the wife and the son. Right. So we had him. he had him get got. Probably by the mountain. You have to guess the mountain we just going around so, yeah. squishing mm-hmm. heads. Maybe this was the guy it that was in the alley the, talking the that penis shit. penis guy, yeah. Could have been yeah. penis guy. Yeah. Penis guy. That's <laughs> all it takes. You pull your dick out to pee and you're penis guy. Uh, one of the little birds asks if Lord Varys will ever come back and Kyburn asks if she misses him. She says, he was nice. He called us his little birds. He gave us sweets. Is and, this the first time that it has been like on screen confirmed that little birds are children or little kids? Yes. Or have we... To, for me, Yes. I feel like it's the first time that it was like, like we've always heard about them. I think well, we knew that, I think we thought that they were kids, like little kids. But we've seen adult spies referred to as little birds before. Mm-hmm. Like, see that one over there? That one's one of Cersei's. This one's my, like Littlefinger has done that whole song right, and dance. Right, right, so right, it's, right. it's just, I think it kind of shifted here. They were like, oh, now all the little birds are children. I, I don't know. But yes, this, I think, I, if I remember correctly, this is the first time that's confirmed for okay. us. And the first time we see Kyburn really take over Varys's little birds. Um, so Kyburn then loads the kids up with sweets, candied plums from Dorne, and says, Now remember, if any of your friends like sweets or need help, they can always come to me. All I need in return are whispers. He's just recruiting. And then enter Cersei and Sir Jamie, accompanied by Sir Gregor. The mountain reanimated. The kids are like, holy shit, who is this monster? They bail, and Jamie asks, what did you do to him exactly? He's talking about the mountain, asking Kyburn. He says, I haven't been able to get a clear answer, which is great. And as an audience member, you're like, yes, he's going to explain it. Fuck yes, we need this answer. What did he do? <laughs> what is this guy? Is he alive? Is he dead? What the fuck's happening here? And Kyburn just says, oh, a number of things. Jamie asks, does he understand what we're saying? I mean, to the extent that he ever understood complete sentences in the first place taking a shot at uh, Sir Gregor's intelligence. Yes. And the mountain jerks his head violently and just <laughs> stares straight at Jamie. And it's super intense. And Jamie backs away. Kyburn says he understands well enough. So we don't really get any clarification here other than that the mountain, yes, does hear and understand people. We don't know to what degree he is able to... Like, it's it, to me, seems if he's told to do something by Kyburn or Cersei, he has to go do it. Like he's almost at their beck and call, like controlled by them. Hmm. But then he can hear them. I don't know. It doesn't. I definitely don't think that he can talk. He never has. It's also possible that they sewed his mouth shut or something creepy like that. Because remember the way Kyber explains it to Cersei? And he's got the, you know, the, the, his, uh, helmet, his helm covers his mouth. I also think it's just stuck on his head. No, we see it come off at some point. But remember how it was explained to Cersei that he took a vow of silence until all of her enemies are dealt with or whatever? 
Yeah, who knows how much truth there is to that. He might just yeah. not even have vocal cords anymore. Yeah, it could have cut out his tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. 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 Excellent. 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 So Jamie says, tell him to walk into the sept and crush the High Sparrow's head like a melon. And Cersei explains that the High Sparrow has hundreds of faith militants surrounding him. She then hints that she intends to enter a trial by combat when the faith officially levels charges against her. And Jamie is like, oh, shit, that's actually a trial by combat that I would be looking forward to watching because he knows the mountain will just crush some random mm -hmm. faith militant dude. And uh, the mountain reanimated will obviously represent Cersei in any trial by combat that she has. Cersei expresses to Kyburn that she doesn't want him to stop with King's Landing. She wants little birds everywhere. Dorne, Highgarden, everywhere. She wants to hear about anyone laughing or making fun of the queen who walked naked through the streets covered in shit. She wants to know who talks shit about her and where they are. Man, she vindictive. Whoo! Yeah, this is when she starts to get rolling again. This is yeah. when she's starting mm. to find stride again, and it's it gets real scary here real quick. So oh, that, also, just one other thing I wanted to note here. Yeah. Uh, I just really liked it when Kyburn tells all the kids to not be afraid of Sir Gregor because he's friends with all of my friends. Yeah, <laughs> and then they all sprint off, terrified. Just a terrible Which is a creepy line, too. Yeah, and kids yeah. are like, what the fuck does that mean? Uh, I think Kyburn, another under-recognized, fantastic acting job from that guy who plays that character. Kyburn is always so spot on for me. And, and consistent in his creepiness and in his like his little schemey shit that he does i like it yeah and he does a nice job of like playing this you know really just smarmy guy this yeah. really creepster smarmy, smarmy is a good word for him and yet there's no reason necessarily to hate kyburn he's likable he's kind of likable that's the weird yeah. that's, the, that's how i know he's doing good exactly i'm like i like yeah. this dude even yeah. though i know he's a sick fuck yes. like he's severely deranged yeah yeah i like him and that's not normal um, next we see Cersei or not even Cersei it's just a small council meeting and it's like what Pycelle uh, the moron Uncle from Kevin. the Tyrells and Uncle Kevin and is Mace. The, now the hand of the king Mace Tyrell yeah and Olena Mace is back from fucking whatever Bravos. yes um, that's right dealing with the bank the iron bank and it starts out with Pycelle just just bashing and uh, Kyburn saying he's as bad as Varys, he's arrogant, dangerous, that he's been trying to tell everyone this, that they never sanctioned the Gregor Clegane experiment and they should have the beast destroyed. And he's saying that right as said beast enters, along with Cersei and Jaime, and this causes one of the most out-of-nowhere comedic moments in the history of the show, where Pycelle pauses and then releases a fear fart yeah. quite loudly... <laughs> And the subtitles read <laughs> farts. Farts. Okay, so this is—I I don't think I ever would have gotten this had I not been doing the rewatch with subtitles. This is why you got to have subtitles on. What that he farted? Because you just get the the farts like the in the subtitles <laughs> in italics and parentheses, <laughs> yes. and it's just like I don't. If you're just watching, maybe you just hear it and you don't you go, like ah, connect. I don't know what that was. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what that was. Yeah. Maybe it's that was, a, was a fear but, fart. But that yeah, Pycelle farts out of fear. Yes, love that. Jamie and Cersei force their way in here. Kevin Lannister, as I said, is sitting there as Hand of the King with the symbol on his vest and everything. Um, but Kevin is like, fuck this. And they, they do a walkout. A good old-fashioned walkout is how they choose to handle the situation where everybody bails and Jamie and Cersei and Gregor Clegane are left alone. The next thing we see is Tommen approach the High Sparrow while the High Sparrow is praying. He's got a handful of soldiers with him, Kingsguard with him. And he demands that his mother be able to see 
his her daughter's final resting place, Marcella. He wants his mom to be able to visit her final resting place, which she has not been allowed to do. Remember, she wasn't allowed at the funeral. She's not been allowed to visit the body. And the High Sparrow says that still is not possible yet because Cersei has not fully atoned for her sins. This gets Tommen pretty angry. Shit gets really tense. But the High Sparrow quickly diffuses the situation by dismissing his own guards, which causes Tommen to dismiss him, to dismiss his. And once he's got Tommen one-on-one, the High Sparrow just dominates this situation, like molds this kid like Silly Putty, like fucking Play-Doh. Tommen is softer than puppy shit on a sunny day. Dude, and they had the numbers, man. That's what I that's what I hated about this scene is that And the armor. And the weapons. You know, Cersei was just telling Jamie that like he can't go in there because the sparrow that, that Gregor can't go in there because the sparrow has like has has too many numbers. He's yes. got too many dudes and they'll Sir Gregor can't get all of them. And right. then Tommen walks in with like seven Kingsguard. They got one guy. And Sparrow has two dudes. There's like one or two dudes. They could have just ended it right there, man. Yeah, it's a real bummer. I've also noted that Tommen is softer than Drake on Ecstasy at a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> he is just soft, though. So the High Sparrow explains to Tommen why his mother must continue to atone. He asks him to sit on a tiny bench next to him where he continues schooling him on why he is right and the king is wrong, blah, blah, blah. It's just total ownage. Then we're at the House of Black and White, where Arya continues her training to become a faceless man or woman or whatever, which mostly consists of getting the shit kicked out of you with a staff while you're blind. The Waif is the one in charge of training Arya and pounding her day in and day out. So we get all these quick cuts of like lots of beatings and questioning and playing the game of faces and all this different shit. It's like fraternity pledge ship times 1,000. And then we see her like sense of smell being tested, which we already kind of alluded to. Like her being blind is going to sharpen her other senses like mm-hmm, hearing, mm-hmm. smelling. Um, she starts, like, her ability to anticipate attacks is getting a little better. We see her, like, getting stronger and taking some of these beatings in stride. There's a lot of progress being made in this in this little quick cut here is the point. The waif asks her all about her list and who was on it, and the only names mentioned are Cersei, uh, Gregor Clegane, and Walder Frey. The waif says, that's a short list. That can't be everyone you want to kill. Are you sure you're not forgetting someone? Arya responds, which name would you like a girl to speak? Uh, we all we even see Arya land a blow here at one point and then have a spectacular block. Yes, a big block. Big old... It's like the official, like... She's doing it! I've done it! I'm doing it! Yeah. I'm for real! It's like, yeah. Yeah. And Jock and Agar walks in and, like, stops the training. This intense music builds. Where, and we might actually be getting somewhere here with this storyline, maybe. I don't know. Also, what the hell is going on? Why is the waif trying to elicit elicit this emotional or 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 sense of hatred from her um I don't and know. why is she so upset more importantly that she can't do it i get it like maybe you're trying to break her back into arya like uh-huh. get her to break and you know say oh well, i want to kill you you waif because you're being a total see you next tuesday to y- me yes and she doesn't which is fine but the waif is really, really upset about it. Right. Wouldn't you be like... Jockin's doing the tests, and he's like, ah, yes, good. A girl gets her eyes back. Yeah. The waif is just getting pissed that that Arya's not biting on this, and I don't get it. It's like the waif is a, the ultimate, what did not sadist, masochist. She just inflicts pain on people, and that's how she gets off. Yeah. I, I have I, no idea. You would think she would be like, this is so tight, a girl... Another little girl that maybe is similar in age to me is going to be on my team. This right, is going to be right, fun. Like, yeah. we'll go kill people together. But she's like, fuck that. One chick only. <laughs> it's weird. Um, 
So next, Jock attempts That is Arya. what's going on, right? I She's trying so. to get her to say you, yes. the waif. Yes. Yeah. She's okay. trying to get her to, to admit that she wants to kill her. Right. Okay. I believe. Um, Jock attempts Arya one more time. If, if a girl tells me her name, I will give her her eyes back. And a girl sa- uh, Arya says, a girl has no name. And he says, come. Then uh, Arya goes blind to Jockin, who is seated at the well. He takes the well that we have seen her feed people death liquid out of and it kills you he takes a bowl of water from that well of death or whatever we want to call it and he hands it to her if a girl is truly no one she has nothing to fear so Arya contemplates for like I don't know one second and then she just fucking drinks and when she opens her eyes she has her sight back who are you Jockin asks and again she says no one and that's when she is informed by Jockin a girl has earned her Lisa mattress and Arya's like, what is that? We're going to tell you. If you find yourself getting distracted or forgetting things, maybe you're being repeatedly hit in the head with a wooden stick like Arya, bruised up, battered, and you need more rest, you're making mistakes at work or school, a quality night's sleep is exactly what you need. And the right mattress makes all the difference between just laying down and actually resting. The right mattress is the Lisa mattress, the product of more than 30 years of experience in mattress engineering and hundreds of hours of testing, comprised of three foam layers that provide cooling pressure relief, body contouring, and support. Over 300,000 happy Lisa sleepers agree the Lisa mattress gives them the rest they so desperately need. Order your Lisa mattress online at lisa.com slash dragon with the promo code dragon. dragon. And try your Lisa risk-free for 100 nights. Ships directly to your door in a convenient box with free shipping and free returns. L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon. Promo code dragon. You can also enter the promo code uh, to get the deals on Lisa.com. Dragon. These beds are great. The best in the business. Barrett and I both have one. We have the Sapira, which is their like updated luxury mattress that combines... Memory foam and traditional spring technology. Best in the business they are. Oh, best in the business they are indeed. And uh, what I mean, it's easy. You get, you get $160 off the Lisa mattress if you go through lisa.com slash dragon. $235 off the luxury Sapira mattress that we just spoke to. The pillows are unbelievable. The blankets are unbelievable. L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon. Promo code dragon. Do it for you. In Winterfell, Ramsay meets with the new Lord Umber with Lord Karstark at his side. And uh, Umber calls Ramsay out for killing Roos. Says he might have done the same to his father if he didn't do him the favor of dying on his own. And Ramsay still denies that and says Roos was poisoned by his enemies. And by the way, yes, typically I do say Z instead of S. I always have. I say Roos a lot. It's a ruse. It's that's how I say <laughs> a lot of my words Z's get put where S's should be and I don't know why it's just some type of like H time speech impediment like Houston thing. I don't fucking know, but get off my back about it. People people keep tweeting at me that it's it, like it's not ruse, it's ruse and I'm I know that. Ruse. Ruse. So Lord Umber expresses that he's farther north than Winterfell and that he's going to have to face all these wildlings and the bastard Jon Snow before they get to Winterfell, which this is an interesting, very perceptive... I don't know if they just get lucky here. This is the episode where Jon walks away from the wall. These guys, before that even happens, are talking about how they're going to need to face Jon Snow and all these wildlings at some point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just thought that was interesting. 
Uh, Ramsey asks him to pledge his banners to House Bolton and swear loyalty to him as Warden of the North and that together they can destroy the bastard and all his wildling friends. And Lord Karstark is not down with kissing his hand. He's not down with kneeling. He says, fuck kneeling, fuck oaths. I've got a gift for you. Ramsey says, a girl, I hope. I prefer redheads, which is just a weird little Sansa yep. remark. Karstark brings in Osha and a boy, uh, a young one, the way that the other... Well, he makes a joke about how the other guy might be a pedophile or some shit. It's Rickon, unfortunately. Rickon Stark. He, how do I know it's Rickon Stark, he asks. And Karstark brings in another gift. It's a wolf head. It's his dire wolf head, Rickon's. And it's, but it's not that big. We, we bitched about this the first time we watched this episode. So we can just kind of leave it alone. But it, that, yeah, it's whatever. It is what it is. Welcome home, Lord Stark, Ramsey says. So now Ramsey has Rickon. Barrett, do you know exactly how this ha- this came to pass? Like, what? Where the fuck did he get this kid? I don't know. So, is we're just supposed to be okay with Asha and Rickon after all the shit they did and went through, like staying safe and not captured, and with Bran, this suddenly they got this, captured. Yes, this fucker got them. Yeah, that's a real bummer. Lord Umber is the guy. By the way, I, that got a little confusing. I don't remember where they were when they sp- oh they split up at. Uh-huh. Like almost the wall, almost the wall with the wildlings. Where with Jon Snow, right, yeah. has to get. They're up in that tower, right? When he starts killing wildlings, that's where they split up, isn't it? The thunderstorm or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's just Asha and Rickon, and they're supposed to go to. I can't remember. Are somewhere do they say they're going to go to Winterfell, or do they say they're going to go to the wall? They're going to go somewhere where he's going to be safe. I just can't remember where that was. Yeah. Either way, they're close to both. They obviously don't make it to whichever one they were going to. No, they did not. So. Um, and the guy that captured them is Lord Umber, not Karstark. Lord Umber is the one that's brought Rickon in. He's the one that accuses Karstark of uh, liking young boys. Karstark is already on Ramsey's team. They're trying to bring in Umber. Also, Karstark, it is noted in this, in this uh, particular scene that the Karstarks have Stark blood. Which probably makes sense. That's, yeah, that's why their yeah. Stark is in their last name. So then, our final location for this episode, out at the wall, Jon Snow sits brooding by the fire in his chambers when he's summoned by Ed. Ed says it's time. So Jon goes out to uh, where all those who betrayed him and stabbed him and killed him are waiting to be hung. It's only four guys. I thought I remembered more guys. Lot, yeah, and he's got more than four stab wounds. Huh. A couple of them may have been ones that died when the wildlings came okay. and rescued them. That that's be, okay. that's one thing I'm writing it off to. That that okay, I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. Let's just do that. Yeah. John goes out and uh says, If you have any last words, now's the time. The first two dudes say some random bullshit. Nobody cares. We don't even know who those guys are. Doesn't matter. Alistair says I had a choice, Lord Commander. Betray you or betray the Night's Watch. You brought an army of wildlings into our lands, an army of murderers and raiders. If I had to do it all over again, knowing where I'd end up, I pray I'd make the right choice. Uh, and John's like, I'm sure you would, Sir Alistair. He says, I fought, I lost, now I rest. But you, Lord Snow, you'll be fighting their battles forever. What the fuck does that even mean? It, The implication that John is just doing the man's bidding or whatever is just a little weird. I don't know. He's just trying to make sense of his own death, I guess. I don't know. You know what? I was, but I am with you though, because like when he goes, when he says like I fought, I lost, and now I rest, I was like, man, that's a good speech. 
And then he says, he but you, it. he adds, he adds. Yeah. And the adding, it just kind of. I, I thought he I, crushed the speech. I don't have like sentence. a big issue with what he added, except for that it just ruined like the coolness of his, of, right. his, there's almost, la, of his last words. There's a level of mutual respect between right. John and Alistair. Like we both did what we believed to be right, even to our death. Yeah. And then he just fucking ruins it with that last little bit. It's like he just couldn't quite hold out. Right. The twisting right. the knife thing, man. How yep. many times is this going to come up? Yep. Anyway, um, so the last the last is Ollie. And Ollie just looks down at John like with anger and disgust. And he, he just even, has a real butthole of a mouth. He does. You know, he's just, just got a, these tiny little mouth, tiny little lid, just looking like a butthole on his face. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So John walks and turns and pulls out his sword and chops the rope and he hangs all four guys. Their necks snap, their bodies go limp when their legs stop wriggling or whatever. It's very disgusting. And John just, like, he does his deal. He does the part like, you know, you're not supposed to look away. That's like the Stark deal. Man who passes the judgment should swing the sword or whatever and and you, you got to look at him. He watches the light leave their eyes, like fuming as he does. And then he just sheathes long cloth and Ed says... We should burn the bodies. And John says, you should. And he takes off his cloak and gives it to Ed and tells him to wear it or burn it, whatever he wants. You have Castle Black, Jon Snow says. My watch is ended. And then he walks out and the credits roll. Boom. It's the ultimate exploitation of any loophole in the history of storytelling (laughs) or actual life. John realized right after he hung those dudes, like, wait a minute. I have fulfilled my vows. I died. Yeah. Deuces. And just walks. I, and I, I know we touched on this a few years back, but giving up the coat, dumbass move. <laughs> it is fucking freezing out there. You, you're going to need that, It's very that, cold. Bro. He seems like he should have taken the coat. If yeah. nothing else, it's like, all right, look, Ed. Maybe I'm he gonna goes give and you, gets another one. I'm going to give you the Lord Commander coat, but I need like I need your How shitty about yours? coat. Trade any, me. Let's go tradesies. Any coat yeah. will do. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he goes and grabs one from his room. Yeah, he had him. I, well, I guess we'll see next episode. Yeah. But he had one on his coat rack. So that that was up. the <laughs> that was the end of it. Uh, I'm glad somebody in the last scene had a, a mouth that looks like a butthole. <laughs> that was the end of Oathbreaker, <laughs> written by Benny and Weiss and directed by Daniel Sackheim. Who, the sack man. Who, when, we, when we come back, for, we are so immature. When we come back next Monday. Uh, oh, first of all, my fault on it's not well, not really my fault, but I apologize for the delay on this week's episode. It should have come out yesterday. We always do Mondays. I got fucked by some doofus in Phoenix. It did work out great though, because Emmy, because then we got to put the Emmy's yes, talk. Yes, that's true. You know, so really, it was so really we you're we planned it the whole time. Yeah. Really, instead of your, yes. I'm sorry, it's your welcome. Yeah, we'll be back next Monday to talk about the fourth episode of season six, which is titled "Book of the Stranger," written by Benioff and Weiss, and again directed by the Sack Man. Daniel Sackheim, because remember every director. These goes, guys love to go back to back. I did you notice a lot of the nominees for director uh, last night for yeah. drama? Potiswa yep. was direct was nominated, and somebody else too yeah. that, that has been directing episodes the last couple of seasons that we've been doing on uh, oysters, clams, and cockles here. You know what? You know what's interesting to me, Barry, so, that you spoke to. Um, we we talked about how they kind of just were like, ah, we'll just give the big dogs. Yeah, these yeah. awards. Well, did they think about the fact that they're going to have to do that all over again? I, so it won't be next year, though. It won't be next year. It'll be the That's year the, after. That, exactly. Okay, there you go. That and actually, that could have had something to do with it. Yeah. They wanted Game of Thrones to be recognized. They didn't want Game of Thrones to like go unrecognized for three years. Yeah, basically. that makes sense. That makes good sense. Yeah. So there you go. 
Follow the podcast on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles. Also on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. Like us on Facebook.com slash Oysters, Clams, Cockles. I'm Ross Bolin. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at WRBolin. My personal podcast, the Ross Bolin Podcast, is a comedy, humor, life fucking show. I don't know how to describe it. Just go listen to it. Barrett, where can everybody follow you? What else do you want them to listen to you on? Go check out my new podcast. It just launched on its own feed. Search for Club Cool wherever you listen to podcasts. Probably easiest on uh, on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Um, yeah, we just did our first episode on grooming, routines and products and also cool ways to decorate your place if you're if you're looking to to step up your game. Um, you can follow my podcast on Instagram at Club Cool Pod, uh, same handle on Twitter and my personal accounts are at Barrett Dudley, Instagram and Twitter. Do us a favor. Give both the Ross Bullen podcast and Club Cool a listen this week and see what you think. If you want like an episode of, of RBP, go with like 52. I was really high for that one and it's particularly funny to me. Um, and just listen to the most recent. Yeah, of, go of listen Club to the most cool. recent one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but do that for us. Give us give both of those a chance. We would, we would thoroughly enjoy that and appreciate it. Uh, if you like sports, we have a sports podcast called Backdoor Cover that's actually hosted by the guy who is now producing this show, Dan Regester. Along with myself and Dylan Shivery. I was going to say you're also a co-host. Yeah, as as uh, as co-hosts. And uh, we talk about sports every Monday and Thursday during the NFL college football season. We're having a lot of fun so far. I was not on this week's Monday episode, again, because I wasn't here. But I will be on Thursdays. And uh, Just a bunch of guys being dudes. Yeah, we have fun with it. We talk a lot about sports betting and, and, uh, and you know, stuff like that. What are the shows we got? Touching Base with Postgrad Problems. Uh, Hosted by Will DeFreeze with Dylan Shivery and David Ruff. Subscribe to that. Give that a listen. Grand X Gaming is a new show that is on Grand X Labs is the name of the podcast channel. Hosted by Jared Borslow with myself. We talk about gaming like Fortnite and Call of Duty and all that shit. Gets real weird and nerdy. Um, Our hotline number again is 866-43-CLAMS. Rate and review the show if you are enjoying it, please. Means a lot to us. Obviously, you should be subscribed. But take the 20 seconds to give us a five-star rating and write a quick review. We'll be back next Monday, grandexshop.com slash OCC for shirts. We're going to try to start pumping some new ones out. Adios.